You know, sometimes when, um, when you're preparing like a message uh, to, to speak on a Sunday, I mean, I always try uh, when I'm preparing myself to, to pray and to ask God and say, God, is there anything in this message that you need me to do? Is there anything I need to apply now in my life? You know, I don't want to just give it out. I want to apply it to me. And I, I have to say, this message is probably the single message which I would find most difficult to communicate today because I know that I really need this. And so if at the end I do give a response time, I'm going to be first one down there, okay? Because I really do need this. And when I talk and I open it up with you, I'm going to suggest, I may be wrong, that I'm not the only person in this room that needs to hear this message this morning. So here's my question. Anyone feeling tired today? A little weary? A little jaded? A little stressed or anxious? You see, we live in a world which is tired all of the time. We live in a world which has never had more time-saving gadgets and has never been under so much time pressure. Especially in the Western world, in the first world, we live in this world which has so many comfortable things and so many time-saving devices, but yet we feel pressured. There's never enough hours in the day. We are a tired, worn-out generation. And our minds get worn out and tired. Our bodies get worn out and tired. But here's the question. What about our souls? Do our souls get worn out and tired as well? You see, I, I want to suggest that if I was to ask you this morning, how's your soul? I don't know what would come into your mind when you think of soul. How would you describe it? You know, there are some people that they ascribe to the Looney Tunes theory of soul. Do you remember Looney Tunes cartoon? Do you remember that? When Daffy Duck was shot and killed and then his spirit appears on the side and he talks. Do you remember that? That's where some people think of the soul. But that's actually not what the ancient world thought of when it thought of the concept of soul. In fact, and I, and I thought about trying to illustrate it to you, and this is the best I can come up with. Now, I know that this isn't a fully theologically refined visual illustration. So those of you who are theologians this morning, save your time and energy by sending me the emails. I know it's inconclusive and not quite complete, all right? But this will hopefully help you. You see, in the ancient world, their concept of soul wasn't just the vapor, like the Daffy Duck Looney Tune kind of thing. It was much deeper than that. In fact, they believed that, we, it, that the soul was a description of the core components of who you and I are as human beings. So imagine if this is you. All right, you are a one, you're one person, correct? But there's different components to who you are, okay? Just like with this Russian doll, this babushka, there's all these different components to who you are. And actually, in the ancient world, they believed that there were four main components to your soul, four main components to who you are. I know you probably can't see it all exactly, but you get the idea. So, to make up your soul, there is your will. That's the seat of your choices and your decisions, the right in the center part of who you are. Sometimes it's called your heart, okay? Sometimes it's called your spirit. It's your will. There's also your mind. That's not just how you think, but your thoughts and your feelings. Then there is your body, that little kingdom that God has given you dominion over, your habits, your desires, your appetites, okay? Your flesh in that sense. Then there is your relational world, okay? Your, or, or your social dimension, and in the ancient world, the soul was these four components, but integrated together to form one. So in the ancient world, when someone said, how's your soul? They wouldn't just be thinking about the little vapor, the Daffy Duck vapor thing. They'd be thinking about your will. How's your will? How's your mind? How's your body? How's your relational world? This all encompasses the one thing known as you and your soul. So how's your soul today? I want to suggest that it's possible for us to get soul fatigue, isn't it? Our soul, one of these dynamics of our soul can become unhealthy. 
It can become dysfunctional. It can become weary. It can be fatigued. How would you know if you have soul fatigue? A guy called John Ortberg, a great writer and speaker and author, now he, he says this. There are five uh, kind of things that he thought of how you could tell whether you've got soul fatigue this morning. Number one, frequent or constant sense of feeling rushed. Anyone ever had that? Oh my gosh, <laughs> yeah. There's not enough hours in the day. We live in a culture where even diet food is called slim fast. You know, it's just like it just doesn't happen quick enough. The second thing is difficulty making decisions. Anyone ever felt that? I know that when I'm really under pressure, it can be difficult making decisions. And we live in a culture where there's so many decisions to make. You go into Starbucks and there are over 80,000 different varieties of drink you can order in Starbucks. It's like, just give me coffee. Do you know what I mean? But you've got all these different decisions to make and this can leave us with a sense of soul fatigue. How many of you remember when there were three TV channels? Come on. You remember when it went to four and five and now there's hundreds. And so we've got all these different options and we are the culture. The young people growing up now are in the culture of options. So many choices. It can overwhelm our soul. It really can. And here's an interesting one. Number three, the surplus of information and the deficit of wisdom. So much info, but so little wisdom. I'm reading a book at the moment, and this is, this is how I roll in my free time. It's called Digital Cocaine. And it's a Christian book written on the impact of technology and especially social media upon us as human beings. It's a fascinating book. And in the book, it says this, neuroscience has learned that we cannot multitask. It's an impossibility. We don't multitask. What we do is we task switch. So we don't multitask like we think we do. We task switch. And when we task switch, our productivity decreases by around 40%. It gets worse than that. Research by the Institute of Psychiatry revealed that workers who get distracted by incoming emails and by notifications on your phone and all that, you're you are likely to lose 10 points off your IQ because of that. In fact, what they say is that when you get a notification, it releases, it releases something in your system which is like the impact of smoking marijuana. So we live in an age, you and I, and we understand that we're going to use technology. We live in an, un, in an age where there's so much of it, it's having an effect on our souls and we're not aware of it. What about number four? A sense of stagnation or superficiality with God. Worship becomes sporadic. Prayer becomes routine or non-existent. Our mind is not shaped by the word of God, but by the world wide web. And we wonder why we feel disconnected from God. And then number five, a decreased ability to love. Our love tank has grown empty and we want to love people, but we can't because we are soul-weary people. But before you think, flipping it, we've had a fire. Now this is getting even more depressing. There is good news this morning. There is hope and our hope is in our shepherd. Amen. The Bible says in Psalm 23, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. And I really need this right now. And I'm sure many of you in this room do as well. And you see, when you make Jesus, when you accept Jesus, and you surrender and submit and make Jesus the Lord and the leader and the shepherd of your life, what he does is he leads you. And so he leads you to green pastures. He leads you to still waters. And he says and promises he will restore your soul. Now, there are some enemies of our soul. And I want to credit this to a guy called Max Licado, who wrote an amazing book years ago called Traveling Light, which is where some of these ideas have come from. And I want to share these ideas with you and then give you a few of my own as well. And he says in the book, there are two enemies of the soul. The first one is hurry. 
How many of you have ever, ever been affected by hurry sickness? Anyone heard that? Hurry. Everything is so fast. And, and in, the, in the psalm, green pastures is there to combat this. You see, what happens with the sheep is the shepherd comes in the morning and he calls the sheep by name and the sheep come to him and then he sets out and he takes them to green pastures. Now, here's the interesting thing. In Judea, in the area of the world where this is written, there were, no, there were very little natural green pastures. It was arid. It was dry. It was sandy. It was deserty. The shepherd would make green pastures. He would clear away rocks. He would bring in irrigation. He would bring in cultivation. He, by his own hand, would often create a space that was then a green pasture for the sheep. That's amazing. What that means for us is this. In our busy, hurried lives, God creates rest for your soul. And he did it by his nail-pierced hands. Isn't that amazing? And I've had to hang on to that a lot over this last couple of weeks, knowing that in the busyness of life and in the busyness of what we're doing, that there are some moments of green pastures where he will make me lie down and rest because I need it. In Isaiah 30 verse 15, it says this, This is what the Sovereign Lord, the Holy One of Israel says, In repentance and rest is your salvation, in quietness and trust is your strength, but you would have none of it. This is, I've created for you, God says, some rest. This is a prophetic thing about what Jesus will do. He says, I'm created for you through Jesus in his nail-pierced hands. I've created rest for you, but you wouldn't come in. You wouldn't lie down. You wouldn't lie down and you wouldn't rest. You see, here's the thing. The shepherd makes the sheep lie down even when they're not tired. And he does that for a reason because actually he knows what is ahead of them in their day. So he knows what climbs are coming up, what steep hills they're going to take over, what terrain. So he makes them lie down and rest even when they're not tired because he knows what's ahead of them. That's amazing, isn't it? You know, and it reminds me, this whole thing about he makes me lie down. When our kids were little, you know, when you, how many of your parents here this morning? Yeah, loads of you. You know, loads of people told you about what it was like to have a baby, didn't they? But nobody told you what it was like to have a baby. Do you get what I mean? Like they tell you, but there's nothing that prepares you for that. And I remember the first time Alison left the house and left me on my own with Joshua as a baby. It was Armageddon. I mean, it was just that I, I had to call her back in the end, I think. I was in the, in the States. He was in the States as a little baby. It, was, it all went wrong. Okay. Now, I did learn how to do it after that. But I remember that. And I also remember the first time we left Joshua with one of his granddads to look after. I won't tell you whose father it was, but it wasn't mine. Okay, so I'm, so I'm not going to tell you, but it wasn't mine. And I can remember coming back and Alison's dad had made Josh lie down to change his nappy, but Josh didn't want to do it. Sorry, Josh is not here today, he's at work, but don't tell him, all right? Um, so, and anyway, the funny thing was, is that her dad, literally, was so, you know, overcome with this whole thing, that in the end, when he did ch- uh, try to change the nappy, he had to have a tea towel around his face as like a surgical mask. And that was the scene that we came back to. But that whole idea, <laughs> exactly, that whole idea, he makes me lie down, even when I don't want to do it. And often babies don't want to lie down and be changed, but... But a good shepherd makes us lie down because he knows that we sometimes do need to be changed for our good and for everybody else's. He makes me lie down in green pastures. There is rest that he creates by his nail-pierced hands. But the problem is we don't go into it. So what can we learn from this? What can help our souls combat the enemy of hurry? Sheep are naturally restless creatures. They will not rest if there's any sense of agitation there's any threat of predators, if there are any bugs, they're like us in that sense. So they will only rest when they are assured that it's a safe place to rest. 
I want to say to you this morning, folks, where the shepherd is, you can rest. Where the shepherd is, you can rest. So even in your busy job, even in your busy life, even in your busy week this week, there are moments where you can tune in and say, hey, you are the shepherd. You can create for me a green pasture. That's what he does best. He's amazing at that. Anywhere can become a green pasture, but you have to enter into it. And rest is meant to be a rhythm, not the last grasp of desperation. It's meant to be a rhythm. We can make that by, you know, by, by making sure that we schedule times for rest, by reading a good book, by doing what I've been encouraging you to do for months now. Every morning, find a chair somewhere in your house or somewhere else, which is that chair where you sit for five or ten minutes alone with God and with your Bible, preferably not a device but a real Bible because then you'll get distracted and where you can say, God, in this next five or ten minutes, let this be a green pasture and give me rest. Feed my soul. You can do that. But you see, there's another enemy of the soul and that's worry. Worry. Anyone been, ever been affected by worry? <laughs> you know, worry is the biblical word. is a compound of two words. Marizo, which means to divide, and nous, which means the mind. Worry literally means divide the mind. And what worry does is it divides your mind away from today and pushes it to tomorrow. So we start thinking and projecting what could happen or what might happen tomorrow and then we're anxious and it stops us living life now, doesn't it? Because when we're so hurried and when we're so worried, we can't live in the moment. And God wants us to live in the moment. God wants us to live now. Last week we looked at discontentment, which separates us from living life now. But hurry and worry are the same. And here's where the shepherd, this is amazing. The flock has reached the mountaintop, okay? And there is gushing water from the river in the mountaintop. And the sheep have been climbing. They were rested in the green pastures. They were fed and they were rested. Now they're climbing, but now they're thirsty. Okay? And and now they're starting to worry and get agitated because they can't drink. And there's gushing water. And you think, well, just go ahead, sheep. Drink. But here's the thing. The anatomy of a sheep is very interesting. All right? You might think it's really not interesting, you geek. Uh, But it is quite interesting, okay? Because the anatomy of a sheep is such that the nose and the mouth are so close together that they cannot drink from fast-flowing water. They will drown. See, it was interesting. So what happens, uh, what happens is that the shepherd takes his staff, his crook, okay, and he cuts a channel out of the fast-flowing water and he creates in the ground a pool where the water comes in and that becomes a pool of still water. And that's what David was talking about. Because we can't just dive in sometimes because life is too busy. But God, in his beauty and in his majesty and in his grace and in his compassion, creates for us a pool of still water and we can rest. Isn't that amazing? And we can be refreshed in that place. So are you worried right now this morning? Maybe you're facing something tomorrow that is causing you to worry today. Maybe you're facing something in the future that is causing you not to be able to live life now as God wants. Let me go back. uh, Let me say what Jesus would say about that in Matthew chapter 6. Jesus puts it so beautifully, and this is from the message translation. Give your entire attention to what God is doing right now. And don't get worked up about what may or may not happen tomorrow. God will help you deal with whatever hard things come up. Listen, when the time comes. You know, yesterday, um, 
Alice and myself, Josh and Simi, we, we went out for a day as a family together, four of us. We have two sons, 22 and 21. And uh, it's not very often these days that we get to go out, the four of us, because Josh has been at uni or he's at work. And as many of you know, Simeon uh, is in residential care. Our youngest son has very complex special needs and disability. So he's been in residential care for about five, six years now. But we had got the, the, the chance yesterday to go out for the day and we went out to Warwick Castle which is one of Simeon's favourite places. And it's quite alarming to me to get to Warwick Castle and not realise that they'd also had a fire as well. It was a little bit annoying uh, when I saw that, but there you go. But we had a great day together. And I was reflecting on it last night and thinking, hey, we had a great day together. And Simeon's now 21. But it doesn't take much for my mind to go back to when Simeon was two and a half, maybe three, and Alison and myself as young parents were sat in, out in a car outside the doctor's office, having just been told by the doctor that Simeon has such complex needs and disability that he would never live an independent life and he'd always have to be looked after the whole of his life. And as we sat in the car there, young parents in tears with each other, I can remember some of those early conversations which went along the lines like this. How are we going to cope? How are we going to cope when he goes to school? How are we going to cope when he hits puberty? How are we going to hope when we get old and he gets old? What about when one of the grandparents dies? How are we going to cope? What are we going to do? And yesterday, at the end of that, we had a great day together. I was able to say, God, you have been faithful. And way back then when we were three, I didn't know. We didn't know how we were going to cope. But you know what? You gave us help when we needed it. You gave us help when the time came. Not a moment before. Don't you love that? And you know, one of the things for me in dealing with this fire uh, thing that's happened for us is my leadership gift. I'm wired in such a way. Two of my strengths are futuristic and strategic, which means I'm looking to the future and I'm looking how to get there. I don't know what about the future and I don't know how to get there. That's been really difficult for me. But I've had to say to God, God, you do know because <laughs> you do know everything. So all I can do is make sure I'm plugged into you. And when the time comes, you will give me the help that I need. Because that's how it works. And so I'm, not gonna, I'm gonna try not to let those enemies of the soul hurry and worry, really destroy my soul. But I'm gonna try and stay as connected to the shepherd as I can. And when the time comes that I need help, God, that's when you'll give it. Amen. So maybe this morning, maybe you're saying something like this. I don't know how I'll cope when my husband dies. But when the time comes, you will. Maybe you're saying, I don't know how I'm gonna cope when my kids leave home. But when the time comes, you will. Because that's when God will show up and that's when God will give you. You see, you will meet tomorrow's problems with tomorrow's strength, not today's. And we meet today's problems with today's strength and not tomorrow. So I want you just to close your eyes for a moment, guys. Is that okay? And I want you just to be still. I'm going to read something to you. Just breathe for a moment and maybe hurry and worry. These enemies of the soul, maybe they've been snapping at your heels a lot recently. And I in no way want to minimalize this. Because when hurry and worry grab us and take us down, they can take us to a place where we are burnt out. And can I just say in this context, and I didn't say this at the first service, and depression is a very real thing. Very real thing. Most of the people in the Bible, the great heroes and heroines of faith, had times of utter soul desolation and depression. Elijah sat under a tree and wanted to die. Jeremiah, often melancholic. It's a real thing. 
But maybe if hurry and worry is snapping at your heels, maybe right now in this moment, God would just want to speak some words over your life. And I want to read something to you and just listen to the words and just maybe in this little moment, say, God, let this be a still water. Let this be a, a pool of still water. Let this be a green pasture for me right now as I hear your words. The Lord is my pace setter. I shall not rush. He makes me stop and rest for quiet intervals. He provides me with images of stillness, which restores my serenity. He leads me in ways of efficiency through calmness of mind. And his guidance is my peace. Even though I have a great many things to accomplish each day, I will not fret for his presence is here. His timelessness, his all importance will keep me in balance. He prepares refreshment and renewal in the midst of my activity by anointing my mind with oils of tranquility. My cup of joyous energy overflows. Surely harmony and effectiveness shall be the fruits of my hour, for I shall walk in the pace of the Lord and dwell in his house forever. Father, we receive your peace this morning. Receive your presence, God. Green pastures, still waters, even just for a moment, we receive in Jesus' name. Amen. And then he goes on to say, so then he restores my soul. So what does that mean, going back to our Russian dolls, in the context of the four components of our soul? Interestingly, the word restore literally means convert. Which is really interesting. He converts my soul. You know, I love healing and I love miracles. But you know, the greatest miracle of all is a saved, converted soul. You know that, don't you? And last week, five people gave their life to Jesus at the first service. Three more people gave their lives to Jesus. God's doing something among us. That's brilliant. But what does it mean to have your soul converted? It's more than just making a decision to follow Christ, though that's absolutely crucial. It starts there. If our soul is all these components, maybe these aspects of who we are also need converting and restoring as well. You see, if this is my will, this is the seat of who I am, this is where my decisions are, maybe sometimes we end up in a situation where actually that needs restoring. Where that needs converting again. That initial surrender and God, here I am, I'll do whatever you want me to do. For some of us, we can move on from that and almost maybe we need to be restored and converted again in the area of our will. What about our mind, where our thoughts and our feelings are? The Bible says that we should be transformed by the renewing of our mind. I know that my, often my battles are in my mind, are yours as well. And that's the bit that I need restoring and converting. Maybe in my body, you know, that little kingdom uh, that God gives us dominion over. Maybe the habits and the appetites and the desires in your body, do they need restoring or converting? Because he'll do it. He'll do it. Or maybe my relational world, those people that I interact with, that I connect with, maybe there's some restoration or some converting that needs to happen. And the Bible says that when you come to him, he will restore your soul. How does he do it? Let's go back to that verse from a different translation. Isaiah 30 verse 15. Brilliant. This is what the Sovereign Lord, the Holy One of Israel says. Only in returning to me and resting in me will you be saved. Only in returning and resting will you be saved. 
You see, I think this is the problem for our soul fatigue. We try to do so much in our own strength. We don't do it without him. And we worry why we get weary and why we get fatigued and why the tank goes low and why other things come in. And why am I doing that habit again that I thought I got a hold of? And why am I eating that way when I don't want to do that? You know, and why am I relating to people in a way that I'm doing? Because we are doing it all on our own. And the Bible says, when you return and when you enter into rest, I will restore your soul. Isn't that amazing? When you return to me, I will restore your soul. And I want to suggest that it's possible this morning that there are some of us, maybe even here, and we need to return to the shepherd and maybe even return to the flock. But yeah, you say, I'm still going to church. But we get disconnected from the shepherd, don't we? And we need to return to him and to return to that proximity so he can restore our soul. How does he restore our soul? He does it by two ways, by crook and by look. You see, his shepherd's crook is amazing. And we'll look at this in a couple of weeks' time. What he does is that when we wander off and when we get into all kinds of scrapes, okay, and when we wander off the path, he grabs the hook and he grabs the sheep and he pulls it back. But he, and that's one of the ways he restores the sheep. But another way he restores the sheep is, sheep is really interesting. Because in my research, and this is a bit weird, okay, but here's, here's what I found. That what they d- used to do in these days was that they used to come into the flock and they used to every day have a one-to-one, the shepherd, with, with the sheep, okay? It wasn't like an interview, like a performance appraisal or anything like that, okay? They didn't have to do strength finders or anything like that. They'd literally have a one-to-one where they come down and they literally rub the ear of the sheep, rub some oil in the face, and they would speak to the sheep and the sheep would return to the flock. Isn't that amazing? And you see, the shepherd restores us sometimes by crook, but often by look. And those moments when you and I have had where we've connected with Jesus and we've known that he's looked us full in the face, they restore your soul, don't they? And maybe this morning, that's what some of us desperately, desperately need. I've got great news for you. You have a shepherd who loves to do that. And if you know Jesus this morning, I want to invite you to surrender again to him. Because when we surrender, that's about returning. When we surrender, that's about resting. But when we fight and when we try and do it all on our own, do you know what? Our soul continues to grow sick and hurried and worried and unhealthy and disconnected. But when we surrender, we allow him to restore our soul. Why don't we pray? I'm going to ask the band to come back. The band are going to lead us in a song this morning. It's a new song to many of us. They're going to just sing it to you a couple of times and just stay seated. Then I'll come back and then we'll enter into that as well. But just take a moment just to, to kind of let these words go over you and to encourage you and invite you this morning to surrender. And, you know, if your soul, if your soul, and when I said and I really meant it, you know, this is, I need this, I need this. If you're hurried and you're worried and your soul is a little weary, maybe even a little sick, There is a shepherd who loves to restore. There is a shepherd who loves to make you lie down in green pastures. There is a shepherd who loves to lead you to still waters. And he did it all through his nail-pierced hands. And he asked you and invited you to come and to return and to enter into his rest. And you don't have to do it all. You just have to surrender. So there's an invitation this morning from him, from God, from the shepherd for us to return to enter his rest, for him to restore our soul. Maybe as we just pause in this moment, if there's anyone here this morning and you want to say, yeah, that's me. 
I want to ask you to respond. I want to ask you just to stand right where you are. And you say, hey, that's me. Hurry and worry and my soul. And God, I need you to restore me. Why don't you stand as a way of surrendering to him this morning? And I want to pray for you. So if there's anyone here this morning and you want to do that. Thank you, Lord. Jesus. Just lift your hands before the Lord this morning. God, we're here we are. We began by saying we're empty-handed. And God, we're ending by saying we're empty-handed and sometimes empty-souled. But God, we need you. So Lord, we say, we invite you, we ask your Holy Spirit, would you come? Would you restore our soul? That isn't going to happen necessarily in one moment in a meeting. But God, would you do something that breathes life into our soul today? God, whether it's our will, whether it's our mind, whether it's our body, our relationship, well, whether it's all of it. God, would you restore us? God, hurry and worry. God, let us see those enemies of the soul dealt with. And God, give us the grace and the strength we need for this moment and for this day. God, I want to pray for such an infilling of your spirit. God, I want to pray for those here who not just a little bit busy and that's something, but God, it's much deeper than that. God, would you restore us in the deepest parts of who we are? God, after the fire came the gentle whisper of God. After the fire, after the earthquake, after the wind came a gentle whisper of God to Elijah and it brought him out the cave. God, I pray that you'd speak and you'd bring some of us out the cave this morning. I just really sense that there are some people and you feel that you're locked away in a cave. You're locked away in almost a prison and you can't see your way out of it. And it's like the, the, the bars are shut and there's no light coming in and you can't see anything. I believe God would say to you that what you are seeing is from your perspective, but he's looking from a whole different vantage point. And just as Paul and Silas in the book of Acts were, were set free from prison on the moment when they were worshipping God, I believe that God would say to you, as you worship me, And as you look to me, I will set you free. I will open those prison doors in Jesus' name. So God, here we are. Here we are. We just surrender to you. And we say, Lord, would you restore our soul? Drench us with your love again, I pray. Thank you that unlike sheep, we can have the rushing of water, the presence of God. We won't drown. God, we will be filled by your spirit. And God, we we are hungry and thirsty for that. We are hungry and thirsty for you. And so we surrender and we say, God, would you come by your spirit in Jesus' name? Why don't we stand together? Let's stand and let's worship him. Let him come. Let him come by his spirit. Let him come. Let him fill you and restore you as you surrender.